If you're new with us, we are studying the Old Testament book of Daniel, and today we've finally made it to the most popular story in the book, Daniel and the Lion's Den. I was reflecting yesterday on the fact that I've been preaching for almost 25 years now, and I've never preached a single sermon from Daniel and the Lion's Den. I was so excited. I couldn't wait to hear what I had to say. Uh, so t- today's the day. Um, let's pray together and ask for the Lord to uh, open up our eyes to behold the wonder of this well-known story. Father, we pray that familiarity uh, would not breed apathy, but um, this story would come alive in our hearts and cause it to have a real impact in our lives this week and in this moment. So come today, we pray, and impress this truth upon our hearts. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. In the Oriental Institute Museum on the campus of the University of Chicago, there is one of the great treasures of Babylon. It's called the Striding Lion. And uh, here's a picture of it there in the museum. This majestic relief dates to the time of Nebuchadnezzar. And it once adorned the pathway uh, to the Ishtar Gate. In all likelihood, Daniel would have seen this, this famous picture. Uh, He may have walked by it prior to being thrown to the lions or maybe looked at it with great reflection after he was delivered from the lion's den upon the faithfulness of God. This is definitely the most popular story in the book of Daniel. I think if you do a word association and you just say Daniel, the very next thing that would probably be said is, and the lion's den. Even people who haven't read the Bible are familiar with, with this particular story, at least at some level. It gets referenced all the time in pop culture and other places. It's often mentioned in a sort of a lighthearted manner, but the story is actually intense. It's exciting, and it really causes our hearts to race if we're looking at it well. I mean, that's what lions do to us. They kind of shake us up. Like they, 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 uh, If we were to see one, we, it would be an unforgettable moment because lions uh, are really create an emotional terror, unless we're talking about the Detroit Lions. But, uh, or Zach Lyons. Uh, <laughs> but lions, for real, uh, are, are something that uh, can have an a, a, you know, uh, unforgettable uh, uh, experience. Because it have an unforgettable experience, my son Joshua can attest to that. Uh, when we uh, adopted him from Ethiopia, the, the day after we received him, a uh, little, little guy, we decided to go to the zoo. And it wasn't a great idea because the lion terrified him. And uh, it was eating a large piece of meat, and Joshua thought it was a person. And uh, we had to try to comfort him that we're not going to throw him to the lions, and that's not actually a person. Um, So this is a story that should generate that kind of feel in our hearts, even though it is somewhat familiar to people. It's more than a children's story. It's often reserved for uh, children's stories. And we have, it's, you know, told with uh, cartoonized vegetables, and you can you cannot take the story seriously when you only see it and hear it like that. Of course, we want to teach the kids, but this is not a, a G-rated story. This is an 80-year-old man being uh, put into a den of lions, sentenced to one of the most gruesome forms of death you can imagine, because he chooses obedience to God over the state. Now, there's a lot to learn from Daniel, and as we've been saying, the, the message is not be like Daniel, even though that is part of the message, and we'll see that today. He is an example for us to follow, but there's more to it than that, and it is namely 
looking at the hero of the story who is God. Our God delivers. Our God saves. And we want to walk away saying, I will keep trusting Daniel's God. This, this God is worthy of my trust. And I pray that your faith would increase as we look at this old story. That this Daniel, who was delivered over to death and then was delivered from death by God, is worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our trust. So let's look at it in four scenes, okay? First of all, we see the distinguished servant. Secondly, the despised servant. Thirdly, the devoted servant. And fourthly, the delivered servant. Those sermons brought to you by the letter D. Distinguished servant, verse 1 to 3. You think about Daniel now. We're, we're in the Persian Empire. He has endured the whole Babylonian uh, Empire. And now the Persians have come in, and now he's, he's serving uh, in, in, under that governmental uh, regime. And he has just, we've watched him as a teenager, and now he's an old man. It made me think of Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He articulates that that. Uh, as the, the disciples' life. If we want to be a people who have a long obedience in the same direction. And that's what you have in, in the life of Daniel. You don't see him like some of the kings, for example, just uh, collapsing toward the end of his life. It's been said that few great men finish well. But that's not the case with Daniel. He is a great model for us of being a people who have a long obedience in the same direction. You're a teenager. You're looking to the end of your life. You're middle age. You're looking to the end of your life. You're at the end of your life. You're looking at the end of your life, <laughs> and we want to be faithful. We want to be obedient. And so here you see him in verses one to three. He has now gained the favor of a, a whole new government, and it says that uh, Darius, uh, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them were three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom the satraps should give an account so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, we don't use the word satraps very often in our organizational structures today, uh, but these were governors over various parts of the empire, and over the satraps you had these other officials, and uh, Daniel is to be a, a big deal. In verse 3, he became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So Daniel is going to serve kind of like a chief of staff or a prime minister. He's, he has influence. He's not going to be the assistant to the regional manager. He's, he's got way more than that. Uh, he, he's going to be this, this leading figure. And again, you see how you can actually do your job well in a pagan world and really bear witness to your Lord. Daniel is very wise Living out Micah 6, 8, doing justly, walking humbly with God. He's, he's done Jeremiah 29, verse 7, seeking the welfare of the city. And he, he stands out. Uh, I was reading just past week in 1 Thessalonians where Paul says in, in chapter 4 that he wanted the church to, be, um, to walk properly before outsiders. And that's, that's Daniel here. He, he found a way to serve God faithfully in a pagan land. And we want to do the same. With wisdom and integrity... And excellence. Daniel apparently did his job really well. And that's one of the ways you make a mark in the world, is actually to do your job well. And to do it with integrity, which is very unique in today's world, isn't it? I love what Alistair Beck says on this point. He says, you should not have to walk around your office with a large study Bible tucked under your arm for people to know that you follow the Lord Jesus. You do not need a bunch of bumper stickers. 
What is far more compelling is to be faithful, to be trustworthy, to be reliable, to show up when you say you'll show up, to do a full day's job, to finish at the right time, to not steal pencils. Okay, don't steal pencils. Uh, or massage the expense claims to help your colleagues when the help is below your pay grade. To write thank you notes, to be courteous. It's good to be good at your job. It's a significant thing, he says, to be a man of purity in a dirty world. To be a woman of integrity in a shady world. We are called to do far more than just to be good workers, but we are certainly not called to do less. And that's what we just keep seeing with Daniel. He's elevated because of this excellent spirit that's in him. He's faithful. He's a person of integrity. And that stands out. And what we're going to see as the story unfolds, and we've already seen this, is that excellent spirit and that faithfulness is because Daniel had a deep walk with God. He communed with God regularly. And it, 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 he didn't just have a crisis faith and pray when there was a crisis. Daniel was consistent in his, in his, in his, in his steady faithfulness. He's the distinguished servant. Now, verses 4 to 9, he is the despised servant. How many of you know that success often brings enemies? And if somebody gets uh, an upgrade and get promoted, someone gets upset. And Daniel had done nothing wrong to acquire this particular role, but now the, the writer points at the, to the, the jealousy in the hearts of his co-workers. Uh, verse 4 they sought to found, f- find ground of complaint against Daniel, but they couldn't find anything uh, to, to accuse him of. And so they decide to come up with uh, this, this plan. And the plan basically involves, verses 6 to 9, we're going to make Darius God for a month. Right? So that's the one thing they can agree on. That's the first miracle in the story that politicians agree Right? It's kind of like at the trial of Jesus. Um, they become friends because they agree on this conspiracy, this, this, this plan. And the, they basically say if anyone uh, doesn't pray to Darius, who, who doesn't worship Darius and worships another god, prays to another god, well, we're going to throw them to the lions. <laughs> they, they don't just want Daniel demoted. They want him killed. And so we've got this dirty politics game being played. And Daniel's right in the center of it. And he has, at this point, found a way to be faithful to God and to serve in a pagan land. But now the line has been crossed. This is the time to protest, as we're going to see. Because Daniel can serve this king, but he will not worship this king. And so they, they, they hatch this plan, and Daniel is going to be, or is, in the center of a war. Now, next week... It gets very interesting next week and the week ahead as we look into the apocalyptic section of the book of Daniel. You just wait to hear Shane Shaddix. That's his specialty, apocalyptic. I'm just kidding, it's not. But he, he's got the last, the last sermon. I, John Calvin, the great commentator, didn't even include uh, in his, com, you know, Daniel 7 and following. But I, I get ahead of myself. The reason I mentioned chapter 7 is because we're going to learn about this particular figure, chapter 7, verse 25, who wears out the saints the writer says. And you're seeing that in the the first six chapters of Daniel. Daniel is over and over and over being attacked. The the three Hebrew boys thrown to the fire were under attack. And that's one of the obvious themes in this chapter is that we will, as God's people, always in this fallen Genesis 3 world be under opposition. 
there's going to be some form of hardship. The, the gospel writers remind us of this, of, of Jesus' words, promising persecution, as does Paul and Peter, that we will, we will suffer some kind of hardship if we want to be faithful to God. And Daniel would not be the last believer even to be thrown to lions. And that happened a lot, especially in the first century. Ignatius of Antioch wrote, I am his wheat, the Lord's wheat, ground fine by the lion's fetch to be made the purest bread for Christ. Better still, you should incite the creatures to become a sepulcher for me. Let them not leave the smallest scrap of my flesh so that I need not be a burden to anyone after I fall asleep. When there is no trace of my body left or the world to see, then I shall truly be Christ's disciple. He wrote that on the way to Rome. And once he arrived in Rome, he died in the amphitheater under Trajan by lions. And there's a reason why a lot of early Christians decorated their graves with the image of Daniel standing among lions. It's an image of courage that they needed in that time as they were in that pagan world. And we too will be tested, we will be tried, we will face opposition. We must not think that persecution was just something in the first century. Now, we may not be thrown to literal lions this week, but we'll, we'll be tested every single day. It may come in the form of isolation or mockery for your faith. You may have some conflict at work because of your beliefs. People may simply view you as strange and peculiar because of your faith. One way or the other, we should expect some hardship for our faith because this world is not our home. And that guarantees some hardship because we here have, a, uh, we here have no lasting city. We seek a city that is to come. And so we, we expect it. You know, sometimes the common Christian cliche is misleading. You know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. What most people hear when they hear that is, God loves you and you won't have any trouble. Well, God does love you and he does have a wonderful plan for your life and that plan involves suffering. Why? Because it is through the suffering, through the trials, through the tests that God is sanctifying us. First Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. It is through the fiery trial that our faith is purified, that we conform more to the image of Jesus Christ. He's not promised us ease, but he has promised to be with us. He's with us in the den of lions. And he uses these trials for our good and for his glory. Even though we don't like the trials. I don't like the lions. And you don't like them. But God has this plan for our lives to sanctify and purify his people. Think about old Daniel here. He, almost his whole life has been in exile. Under pagan leaders. And God is working in and through this, this saint. Well, thirdly, we see in the, in the next scene the devoted servant. Daniel has to make his, his decision now as he is informed about his options. Worship Darius or be thrown to the lions. And this is vintage Daniel in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, I like this phrase, as he had done previously. Just like before, when he was faced with a similar dilemma, Daniel went to prayer. He prayed, it says, these three times, regular kind of Hebrew practice. There's a discipline here, three times a day. Today, if a lot of Christians don't like something that the state says, you might read, uh, they, they vented on social media three times a day. <laughs> right? They complained to their echo chamber three times a day. 
Well, I would suggest this is a good plan. That we're faced with these problems, these challenges, these things we don't like. Have we talked to God about it? Now, this is one of the ways we learn from Daniel's example. As a result of, of looking at this, may our prayer lives improve. Three times a day, there's a lot to learn from these little verses here, right? He looks defeated, but Daniel is the only one who has access to the source of all power. He looks pathetic, like a victim being thrown to the lions, but he knows God. He knows how to pray. And he first begins, it's a, it, very interestingly, with thanksgiving. Can you imagine that? Look at Three times a day he prayed and gave thanks before his God. Daniel, you're going to be thrown to the lions. Well, I'd like to pause and give thanks to God. <laughs> Isn't this outrageous? This is a great biblical example of Paul's word, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In all, circ- all means all, even when you're about to be thrown into the den of lions. And I think this is important for us, that we would learn to give thanks to God even when times are hard, even when we're in a test even when we're in a trial, because this tunes our heart aright. As we reflect upon the faithfulness of God, it builds up our most holy faith. And from there, he offers his petitions and his pleas in uh, verse 11. And so Daniel doesn't take a break. He keeps praying. Now, wouldn't you be tempted at least to say, ah, what's 30 days? All they're saying is you can't pray to another God. You only can pray to Darius. Wouldn't you at least be tempted to say, well, I'll get back to it in 30 days. I've been praying my whole life. He doesn't do that. He doesn't give up the habit of prayer and worship. And that's instructive for us. When we live in less than ideal circumstances, do not give up prayer and worship. Do not give up the disciplines of the faith. Daniel's giving us a wonderful example. I think it begs the question, If you were told you can't pray for 30 days, would anything change in your life? Or would nothing change? Daniel had so built this into his life, it was like breathing. He had the three times a day thing going. This is discipline, which is a very important word here for us. We we tend to maybe push back toward this idea of discipline. But if we only pray when we feel like it, we won't pray much. You have to have discipline. Yes, there's times in which there's spontaneous prayer as you hear of things and things come to your mind. But we also, it is good to have disciplines, to have holy habits that will, will conform you more to the, to the image of Christ. And he prays, it says, toward Jerusalem. This was based on the injunction of, of Solomon uh, at the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem. As Solomon said on multiple occasions, when, when uh, your people face toward this city, Will you hear and forgive and restore and be merciful? And and Daniel here is is stirring himself up, I think, by opening the windows, praying toward Jerusalem, reminding himself of the promises of God, reminding himself of of God's covenant with his people. This was really good for his soul. As Calvin pointed out in his commentary, that this was like a prayer aid. And, And he said, you know, anything that you can use to get you out of your sluggishness in prayer, use it. Maybe that's a prayer walk, maybe it's a prayer journal, maybe it's praying with a friend. Whatever aid you can, can get that will help your prayer life. Open the windows this week, maybe. It's beautiful out there. Uh, and, and pray. 
Well, I spent a lot of time there. Verse 11, but that's an important point, I think. These men intrude on, on Daniel as he is praying as usual. In verses 12 to 13, they go tell the king about his, his uh, actions. And at the end of uh, verse 13, they say, King, he pays no attention to you. <laughs> this is an Old Testament example of Acts 4, when the apostles say, we must obey God rather than man. Again, there, there are ways in which you can live in a, a secularized world and be faithful to God, but there are some times where the lines are crossed and you just got to say, I'll go to the lions. But I'm, I'm not following this idolatry. And that's what he was being asked to do. And so the king is faced with a decision. You can tell that the king, King Darius, um, likes Daniel because it says in the middle of verse 14, or at the end of verse 14, he labored till, sun, the, till the sun went down to rescue him. So he is, uh, he's loved by this king, but the administrators remind him of the binding edict, that you cannot break this edict, verse 15, which is a big deal back in the day, and you hear that cliche all the time now about the Medes, the laws of the Medes and the Persians. And Daniel is brought, verse 16, and cast into the den of lions. Sinclair Ferguson writes well, it is better to be a child of faith in a den of lions than a king in a palace without faith. <laughs> Better to be a child of faith in a den of lions than a king in a palace without faith. He's thrown into this den. This is a pit with an opening at the top. And interestingly, verse 17, Darius expresses hope. May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And it is right to underscore that word continually in the life of Daniel. We've watched him all through the years now. May he deliver you. This is what his devotion got him. Lest we ever think that obedience is always going to give us some physical monetary reward. Right? You, know, you, you may get thrown to the lion's den. That's what it got Daniel. And you don't find any sense of complaining or entitlement. He serves God because he loves his God. And he's going to go to the, to the den over it. The writer describes... What happens next? Verse 17. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. So they roll a big stone over the pit. Not sure how an 80-year-old man's going to jump out of it, but uh, they, they, they put a lid on it, and then the king signs it. Now, it's not surprising that the early church saw this event as a foretaste of the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, even some of the language is, is echoed, isn't it, of, of, of this stone being brought and laid at the mouth of the den. And then later in verse 19, at the break of day, when they go check on this, uh, this den to see how Daniel is, is doing and if he uh, survived. And so they throw him into this den and we're left here with the tension. Now, I've always wondered, what's the guy doing with a lion's den outside of his palace? But they tell us that the ancients, if you had the money, uh, they would let them go and kill them for sport. Um, I prefer other sports. But um, he's got this lion's den, and maybe they've done this before over some particular uh, 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 crime that, were, that was committed. And so here we are left now. The king is miserable because he obviously appreciates Daniel. It says in verse 18 uh, that he takes no food. He's burdened for his friend. And we don't know what to make. Daniel is overnight in a den of lions. <laughs> Maybe he's sleeping like a baby. 
We'll see. Verse 19, the delivered servant. Like the ladies who appeared at the tomb early in the morning, Darius does the same. At the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried in a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And there was a voice that called back. Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. (laughs) My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And they have not harmed me. It's a miracle. Before we think, well, maybe those were some weak lions. (laughs) Maybe they had COVID. Maybe they were just not hungry. I mean, that's, that's been proposed before. This is not like the movie, if you've ever seen the old movie, The Secondhand Lions, with Robert Duvall and Michael Caine. These old, they're old brothers, and they live out in the country. Every time somebody pulls up to their house, they shoot at them. And, uh, and they bring in a lion, and they want to let it free for sport uh, to kill it, but the lion won't get up. <laughs> and they're like, it's defective. Uh, this is not a defective lion. These aren't you know, secondhand lions. We know that based on the very next thing that happens, namely the administrators get thrown to the lines and they get, they get destroyed. No, this was a miracle. God delivered his servant. Notice verse 23. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him. Why? Because he had trusted in his God. That's the big takeaway for us. You can trust in Daniel's God. Hebrews 11 points us in that direction, the great chapter on faith, when it says, verse 32, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. What a picture. Lions throughout the Bible are... Metaphors of, are used as a metaphor of destruction and of death. Paul would say, I was delivered from the lion's mouth. And Peter chooses a lion to depict Satan. But there's something going on here. God is sovereign over these lions. He changes these creatures, these terrifying creatures. Isaiah tells us in the new creation, the lion and the calf will lie down together. And I think in Daniel's den, what you have is a foretaste of the coming kingdom of God. These ferocious creatures are transformed into mild, peaceful creatures. That's where we're going, where there's total shalom in a new heaven and a new earth. And that is given to all who have faith in Jesus Christ. Well, something else happens in this story. Verse 24 The king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. This, too, is a a pattern you see throughout Scripture. God delivering his people and destroying his enemies. These individuals are attacking God's servant, coming up with a malicious plan. To have him killed. You see this salvation and judgment in the story of Noah, in the Red Sea, 
And you see it in the lion's den. There is salvation and there is judgment. And it, is, it escalates all the way to new creation where God will fully deliver his people and he will judge all of his enemies. And so what you do with Jesus Christ matters. That you would trust him and be saved. And you can anticipate this great day of peace and rejoicing rather than a day of destruction. Darius now acknowledges God's sovereign power in Daniel's God as he praises him. Sounds a lot like Nebuchadnezzar saying, he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. It's a beautiful song of praise. He actually highlights a number of truths that are wonderful, doesn't he? Our God is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom and his kingdom alone has no end. Next verse says Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So he's outlasted the whole Babylonian empire. Daniel has. And now we've got a new regime. No kingdom lasts forever except God's kingdom. He rescues and he delivers. He works wonders. He has done that in this story. He's worked a wonder. So, we call it Daniel and the lion's den, but it's ultimately a story about our God who delivers. He's a God who saves. And he's been gracious to us in showing us this. And church, you can trust in Daniel's God. Our God is faithful. Our God reigns. Our God delivers from death. The den, a place of deliverance. Just like Jesus' tomb was a place of deliverance. There's so many types and shadows of the ultimate faithful servant, Jesus Christ. Like Daniel, Jesus was the victim of a conspiracy and viewed as a threat. Like Daniel, the authorities found no real fault in him. Like Daniel, he was arrested in the place of prayer. Like Daniel, he was handed over to death and actually went through death. Like Daniel, he was placed in a tomb. And like Daniel, he was delivered. Jesus is the truer and better Daniel, who having been lowered into a grave, dead, emerged the next morning, alive and vindicated by God. And this deliverance is given to all all of us who trust in Christ. We too will be raised as he was raised on the third day. We will be delivered from the lion's den. And we who will be delivered will enjoy a new creation where the lion and the lamb play together. Because we trust in the lion of the tribe of Judah. And there is no lion that matches that lion. And so let our hearts rejoice today. Let our faith be built up today in the God of Daniel, who reigns over all, whose kingdom has no end, and rejoice in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who conquered our greatest enemy and is coming to bring us into this new creation. And then we, exiles as we are right now, will be home. We'll be fully home. And may God, by his grace, give us a long obedience in the same direction until we see our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And on that day, we will not regret having been faithful in the midst of difficulty and challenge and trial. When we see Jesus Christ, we will say, it was worth it. It was worth it. Thanks be to God for his word. Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us in the pages of Holy Scripture.
for showing us our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would build up our most holy faith as we reflect on this familiar story all throughout the week. Grant us an excellent spirit like Daniel. Give us, Lord, grace to be faithful to you in exile. Give us hope as we think about the future that is to come. And Lord Jesus, even now as we prepare to take the table, we are reminded of what you have done for us, of how you've conquered our enemies, and you've given us this glorious hope that inspires present faithfulness. Be glorified even now, we pray, as we prepare our hearts in Jesus' good name. Amen.